Our lesson today comes from Luke 4. Uh, I said in the bulletin we'd start at verse 16, but I changed my mind. We're going to start with verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure thyself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And there were also many lepers in the time of Israel, of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds today, that we might hear your word and live in response to it. Amen. We are beginning a new series for the next three weeks uh, on Christ in his offices. Uh, And that is a way of talking about who Jesus is and what he did. Now we have lots of different descriptors that we will apply to Jesus to help him him understand what he was uh, and who, who he is. And we'll say that he was the son of God. We'll talk about him as the son of man. We'll use the word savior or even Messiah. We might say that he is the mediator between humanity and God. Sometimes we'll say that that Jesus is the word of God. All those are, are great ways to talk about who Jesus is. But when we talk about Christ in his offices, the offices of Christ, we're talking about three things in particular. Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, And Jesus as king. And we say that Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. That is a way of talking about what it means for him to be the anointed one, to be a prophet, to be a priest, to be a king. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, those folks, when they entered into that vocation, were anointed. They had oil put on their heads. And the literal meaning of the word Messiah is anointed one. We change that Messiah then into Greek as Christ. When we talk about Jesus as the Messiah, we say that he is the anointed one. So these these are ways to help us understand what it means for us for Jesus to be the Christ, for Jesus to be God's anointed one, 
the Messiah. This isn't a way to sort of put Jesus in a box. It's not to say that, all right, if we sort of outline what Jesus did, and he's prophet, and these are the things he does as prophet and priest, the things he does as priest and king, they're all the kingly things he's done. Now we completely understand Jesus, and we kind of have it all academically lined out. That's not the point. The point of talking about Jesus as prophet and priest and king is precisely the opposite of that. It's to, to help us understand better that we can't put limits on the power of God, and that we can't put limits on what Jesus has done for us as the Christ, as the Messiah. And that precisely as God's prophet, he speaks for God and we can't control him. As the priest, he intercedes with God for us and he's not at our beck and call. And that as the king, he is ruler over us and we are not ruler over him. These are ways to help us understand the great power of God that he has revealed to us in Jesus. This way of talking about Jesus goes all the way back to the 300s to a guy named Eusebius. Uh, Jessica, alas, rejected Eusebius as a, one of my suggested names for our children. Uh, so, so much for Eusebius. Luke is still on the list, so maybe we'll get a Luke one day. Uh, Eusebius described this first in the 300s, and we've talked about Jesus in this way ever since. And it's a great way, I think, for us to get more in touch, not only with what Jesus did in his lifetime, but with how we encounter Jesus even now to know him as prophet, to know him as priest, to know him as king, to know the power of God that he reveals as we see in each of those ways. So today we have Jesus the prophet. Before we talk about this particular passage, we've got to ask ourselves what a prophet actually is. And a lot of times we in you know, 21st century America have a bit of a misconception about what we mean by a prophet. Sometimes when we hear the word prophet, we simply think of someone who predicts the future. Uh, a fortune teller or a seer is the word you might see in the Bible sometimes, S-E-E-R, a seer. Do you know the Bible has a lot of bad things to say about the fate of fortune tellers and seers? So a prophet isn't simply someone who purports to predict the future or who predicts the future. That's not what a prophet is. Now sometimes that's what we like a prophet to be. Uh, and we are tempted to want to know exactly what life has in store for us. A few months ago, some of y'all might know about Miss Lamar. Have you ever seen the sign for Miss Lamar? I think you saw it in West Point. I'm pretty sure there was a sign for it as you drove to Tuscaloosa from Starkville, which you'd see sometimes. She wound up getting arrested and thrown in jail because she was, you know, bilking people out of, her, out of their money through her weird psychic operation. And back in the day, you might remember the psychic hotline, and people would call this up because they actually wanted to know what was going to happen in their lives. And the thing about those fortune tellers and seers and so-called psychics, of course, none of them are legitimate, but people were attracted to that message because those folks would tell them what they wanted to hear or they'd scare them out of their money. That, that happened often too. But a prophet doesn't work in that way because a prophet doesn't tell us what we want to hear and a prophet doesn't offer us sort of comforting words about the future. What a prophet does is come and speak for God and challenge us. And what a prophet quintessentially is, is not someone who predicts the future. A prophet is one who comes and speaks for God. A prophet is the mouthpiece for God. And we see prophets all through the Old Testament, but most of all, when we talk about prophets, there's one figure that should come to mind, and that's Moses. Moses is described as, as the prophet, and for Jews, he is the prophet on whom all other prophets are based and, and take their inspiration. 
And what Moses was, of course, is not simply someone who predicted the future. He's the one who gave the law. He's the one who spoke to God. Uh, It said that he is the one who talked to God face to face as a man talks to his friend. Moses is the one who knew God face to face. And then the, the prophets that follow on from Moses are the ones who come to Israel to speak the words that God is, have, is having them to speak. If you go to Deuteronomy 18, it says this. Uh, Moses is talking about what will happen once he has, has gone on, once he has died. And he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you shall heed such a prophet. And this is what... You requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything I command. Anyone who does not heed the words of that prophet shall speak in my name. I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods or presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a word that the Lord has not spoken? If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, then it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be frightened by it. So a prophet, like Moses is a prophet who will speak what God tells him to speak. And that might involve some future prediction. But fundamentally, what a prophet is, is one who knows God and who speaks for God. And so when we talk about Jesus as prophet, what we're saying is that he is the one who speaks for God. And in fact, he's an even better prophet than Moses, uh, the Bible will wind up saying. Because even though uh, Moses knew God face to face, Moses himself wasn't God. But we will say that Jesus is God himself. And so Jesus, when he speaks as prophet, knows absolutely who God is and what God would have him to say. And so when we talk about Jesus as prophet, we're talking about Jesus' authority to speak for the Father. When we see Jesus, when we hear Jesus, we see God and we hear God. So let's go to Luke 4 and this prophet Jesus that we encounter there. So what's been going on in Luke so far? So far in Luke, we've heard about Jesus' birth and childhood. uh, And we've heard about Jesus being baptized. And then right before this, he goes into the desert to be tempted. And now he has started his preaching ministry. He's traveling around Galilee. Galilee is the region that's north of Judea is where Jerusalem is. And Galilee is the region to the north of that. It's where Jesus is from. It's where Nazareth is. And he's gone around Galilee and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing and he's attracting a following. And it's, we're told in verse 15 uh, that he's praised by everyone. He goes to the synagogues and he teaches and he heals and everybody says, this guy is great. You've got to come see this guy. And so he goes to his hometown. He goes to Nazareth and he goes to the synagogue just like he has in every other town. And he goes and the way the synagogue worked is that they didn't necessarily have a set leader or teacher that it would be sort of on a rotation. And if you had a word to bring, you were able to bring it. So he got up and he took the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he reads these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
So this is, telling, this is telling us a little bit about who Jesus is and what he's doing. As prophet, the Spirit of God is upon him. He's bringing good news to the poor, and good things will happen. Captives will be released. Those who are blind will recover their sight. Those who are oppressed will go free. This is great work for the prophet to do. And no doubt those who are sitting there in front of him and hearing these words are saying, this is good stuff. We've heard about what he's up to. We've heard about what all he was doing uh, and the rest of Galilee, and now he's here to do it for us too. And of course, when you hear about the poor and the oppressed and the captive, um, you're going to want to hear that as good news for yourself. And, and no doubt the people are thinking, all right, the stuff that we've heard that he's doing, these healings, these miracles, this great teaching, we're about to get some of that stuff. It's a good day for us. Good day for us. And then Jesus preaches a very short sermon. He says to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they say, Yes, this is it. It says in verse 22 that all spoke well of him. Everyone was amazed at the gracious words that are coming out of his mouth. And the rejoicing in the hometown boy done good. Isn't this Joseph's son? All right. It's Joseph's son. Now you might have heard some other interpretations of that that are saying that, Oh, you know, it's Joseph's son, and they're looking down on him. But that's not what we have so far in Luke, at least. Because right now it's saying that everyone is speaking well of him. Everybody loves this guy. And if Jesus had ended the sermon there and walked out, at, no doubt people would have said to him, Brother Jesus, that was a great sermon. Uh, you really had a great word today. I, got a, I was very touched by that and inspired. That was a wonderful message, Brother Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Jesus then says to them, no doubt you will say to me, quote, quote to me, you know, no doubt you'll quote to me this proverb, doctor, heal, heal yourself. And you will say, do here in your hometown, you've come home, do all these things that we've heard that you're doing in Capernaum and all of these other places. And then Jesus tells them that, all right, you've heard about this good stuff that I've done. Well, in the days of Elijah, there were lots of widows and there was a famine, but only one widow received help. And that's that widow uh, at Zarephath in Sidon. You know, in the days of Elisha, that's the prophet that followed on from Elijah, uh, there were many lepers, lots of people with leprosy, but only one person got healed from his leprosy, and that's Naaman the Syrian. And guess what? Naaman the Syrian is a foreigner, just like that widow is a foreigner. She's from Sidon. Naaman the Syrian is a, is a foreigner, and he's the leader of the foreign army. He's not the, people that you, not the person that you would expect to receive good things from God. He's certainly not the hometown hero. He's certainly not the one that everybody's familiar with. So when Jesus says this to him, to the people, they are offended. They now, they who were celebrating him 10 seconds ago are now enraged and they're so angry with him that he won't heal and he won't perform all this good stuff that they've heard that he can do, that he won't do it right there, that they chase him out and they drive him to the edge of the cliff. They're going to throw him off. In the passage before this, you might remember, what does, the, what does the Satan do? He takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself off and you know, call on God's angels to rescue you. And he refuses to do it. But here, the people are about to throw him off the cliff, and Jesus walks through the middle of him in a, in a demonstration of his power and walks right to safety. Why are the people so angry? They're angry because they wanted good things for themselves. They've heard of what he's done in other places, and they want some of that themselves. They want some of the good stuff that Jesus 
has done. And they want to think that the prophet is at their beck and call. Do for us what you've done in Capernaum, Jesus says, that no doubt they are asking in their minds. And aren't we the same way? We love to think that Jesus is at our beck and call. We love it when God's power is used on our behalf uh, and when we benefit from it. And we love it when Jesus tells us happy things and then we revolt when he tells us things that we don't want to hear. Or maybe sometimes we have made a Jesus in our image so much that we don't hear any challenging words from him anymore. We just hear him confirm to us what we already think ourselves. And we make a, a Jesus, an alleged Jesus, that's actually an idol. And who isn't the real God who has his own power and his own priorities. But we, we get to tell what to do. It's really easy to use the words as a Christian, uh, Jesus is my Savior. But a lot of times the emphasis in that isn't on the word Savior, it's on the word my. And we say, well, he's going to do good things for me. And we forget that the only reason that he can save us in the first place is because he is powerful over all. And that we don't get to tell him where to go and when to go and how to do and what to do. You know, it's really easy to make, say Jesus is our Savior, but what we really mean is Jesus is my errand boy. And you know, uh, people don't really do this anymore, uh, but for a while people had those uh, what would Jesus do bracelets that they wore, and that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to ask ourselves. Um, so I'm not knocking uh, that at all. But I found, at least when I had one of those in high school, that it was pretty easy to say, what would Jesus do? And then it turns out that Jesus would do just whatever I wanted him to do. You know? Or he wanted me to do just whatever I was already thinking that was the right thing to do. It's really easy to say, what would Jesus do? And then just not actually be challenged, not actually have God confront us, but then just sort of come up with that for ourselves. We have a remarkable ability to deceive ourselves and to create uh, an idol an alleged God that's not actually God. That's just something that we've made up. What's the, I think the Paul Simon song says, all lies and jests, still a man hears what he wants to hear and he disregards the rest. We can invent a God of our own making and it's a God who will never challenge us or make us uncomfortable. But when the real Jesus, the prophet, comes, we don't get to control him. When the real Jesus, the prophet, comes in power, we don't get to tell him what to do. When Jesus really comes in power, he comes in a way that might make us uncomfortable and that might make us even angry. When was the last time that the Bible made you uncomfortable? When was the last time that reading about Jesus challenged you? If you're not challenged, then there's a good chance that you haven't actually read it, the Bible, for all it's worth. And if Jesus isn't challenging you, then there's a good chance that it's not the real Jesus. It's just a figment of your imagination where you're telling yourself what you want to hear. But when the real Jesus comes, it doesn't leave us, he doesn't leave us as we are. He brings words and realities that confront us and call us to be conformed to the real God who is very, very different from us. When the real power of God comes, it's not so it can go at our beck and call, but it's so it can save us because it is other than us. When the power of God is real, 
It comes to challenge us and confront us. And it can't simply be something that we tell what to do. You can't control the prophet. That's the message here. Jesus is prophet because Jesus is the one who speaks for God in a way that we might not want to hear. Jesus is the prophet because he can't be controlled by our categories and our expectations, whether the hour is people in the first century or the hour is people right here in America or wherever else in the world today. Because the real Jesus comes to uh, challenge us and confront us. And it's only that Jesus, it's only that Jesus who's really in charge that can save us. My prayer for us as, as a people and why talk about this today, is that I want us to worship the real God, to worship the real Jesus, not someone that we just have made up to tell us what we already want to hear, but that we worship a God who is life-changing and real and uncontrolled and sovereign, the God that we can't tell what to do, the God that can save us because he is not of our own making, not of our own invention. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would be confronted by your Son. We know him as Savior. We know him as the one who has called us out of our sins into new life in you. But that new life can't be real unless it challenges us, unless it calls us to be something other than what we have made up for ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that we would worship the real Jesus, the prophet, the one who speaks for you, the one who speaks words of life, the one who brings uh, freedom from oppression, the one who brings good news to the poor, the one who can heal us, and the one who can redeem us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.